Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify the staunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a Sing It With Me creative show lined up for you. Susan Blackwell and Laura Camion are on the show, and I know Susan from TPAP, you'll see our witty banter, I immediately give her a hard time, it's sort of evident from that very particular branch of the world that TPAP sprouts from, um, but I also know both of them as a listener and big fan of the Spark File podcast, a really cool podcast you're going to hear about many times on the show today, which is maybe especially geared toward our alumni student listeners who are out there working to add to their hyphens that go beyond just actor. Um, Today on the show, we talk about not always taking your guidance counselor's advice. We talk about Laura's sports upbringing and the work ethic of 5 a.m. basketball practice that lead you to great producing work. Um, We talk about Susan's path through graduate school and discovering teaching. Um, We pitch a spinoff show about what it is to date a blue man. Um, We talk about uh, the start of title of show with both of them working on it. We talk about their creativity practices. We talk about accountability buddies, um, what it is to create more than you consume, and we talk a little bit about changing your choice. Um, I've quoted them on the show, as I've said, talking about changing your choice, but now you get to hear it from the original source. Um, And last but not least, we talk about the transferable skills of a BFA. Um, We've said that on many of the college shows, but we get to say it one of the artist shows today, which is something I think is really true. Um, You'll hear on the show today that Susan is an incredible shill for all of her many careers. So we're going to keep it going with our MTCA shilling. Uh, For those of you who missed last week's episode where we mentioned our junior workshop, um, we've called it Launching Your College Process. It's an hour free webinar with me and Megan at 8 p.m. Eastern on November 9th. That's two weeks from today if you're someone who listens on episode drop day, which of course is every Wednesday. You know that very well. There's a link in the show notes of this episode. There'll be a link to that. Um, Click to that workshop and you just have to put like your email address in and then you'll get the link for the thing itself. In all seriousness, you really should check out Laura and Susan's show. Um, We hear about it a lot in the thing. It becomes a bit of a runner, but it is really a great... um, resource for those who are looking for a little kick into their creativity. Um, As far as me, I'm doing great. Uh, You'll hear on the episode that I have a cold, which I don't have currently. I just had back then. We recorded this about two months ago and man, I was going through a pattern of catching like every daycare disease around. So far, we're doing a little better with all of that, knock on wood. Um, But it is a very busy time of year with our seniors. So many of them are kind of seeing that daunting hill that this process really is. You know, maybe you filmed your pre-screens, but you didn't catch all of your essays or you didn't notice the extra video supplement you need or 
there's just so many boxes to check um, without even getting into the artistic specifics of just what you have to do in this process. And that's all before we even get into scheduling the actual auditions themselves and then actually doing your live actual callback auditions. Um, so yes, I think they are really feeling it right now. And so are we. It's the nature of what we do. It's October in the world, you know? Um, but I think it means we all deserve a nice tea and a stress-free bath of inspiration and comedy that is Susan Blackwell and Laura Camion. Well, we are so honored to have Susan Blackwell and Laura Camion on the show. They are both multidisciplinary artists. I'm just going to name a few of those disciplines. Uh, Susan Blackwell is an actor, writer, teacher, speaker, and interviewer. She's a BFA in acting from Wright State University and an MFA in acting from the University of Minnesota. This woman likes degrees in acting. Uh, she created in the original Broadway musical title of show. She created and performed a role, I should say, in that and the off-Broadway musical Now Hear This. She's also appeared on your TV screens and shows like Masters of None, The Sopranos, Madam Secretary, Succession, Billions, and on your movie screens in things like Birdman, Margot at the Wedding, The Post, and P.S. I Love You. She's also the host of her own talk show, Side by Side, by Susan Blackwell on Broadway.com. While Laura Camion is a published playwright, author, screenwriter, and producer, she has a BS in communication slash theater from Kansas State University. She spent much of her career building the Blue Man Group brand around the world and also formed Bridge Club Productions, where she developed a number of theatrical shows, including this very title of show, co-producing the Tony-nominated Broadway production. They are co-hosts of The Spark File, which is about to be your second favorite podcast when you all listen to it. It's a podcast on creativity and curiosity and inspiration. A lot of the stuff we're going to get in today. Susan, Laura, welcome on the pod. How are you doing today? We're pretty good. Charlie, I want to jump right in just yeah. right off the bat and let you know, Laura and I, a few years back, made this, you know, Laura and I have collaborated on a lot of things together for the past 20 million years. Mm -hmm. And a few years back, we were like, what do we want to do now? What do we want to do next? We know that it wants to be about creativity. We know we want to share our passion for creativity with the world. And together, we co-created the spark file the spark where file. we podcast and we we're creativity coaches who help people fear less and create more and i have to tell you we're really stoked that we decided to do that because it's <laughs> it's like the joy of our lives it is it is the joy of our lives yes. let's dial it back you said 20 million years you've been doing this let's go back 19.999 million years to maybe when you were 16 17 i'm gonna ask oh, both of you this yes. um, i'm gonna start off with you susan when you were 16 17 you're thinking about school and you're thinking about a career i just love to think like were you already envisioning some of the hyphens that you were about to add to your name or were you just thinking about acting and what were you thinking about in kind of a collegiate experience of what you're looking you know for? charlie it was when i was in i went to school in rural rural ohio and i just don't know that the people around me had any conception that one could have a career like the one that I have enjoyed in the arts. Mm -hmm. And so I remember really clearly going to the guidance counselor and saying, you know, I've had some real satisfaction and success in the musicals here at school. And mm -hmm. I think I want to study acting. And my guidance counselor said, you know, 
maybe you should look into journalism. And I looked at my guidance counselor in the eyes and I said, I will. I'll look into journalism. (laughs) And in my mind, I was like, lady, I'm not looking into journalism. (laughs) I'm looking into acting. So I really, like, I really knew from high school, I'm going to say like when I was a junior, senior in high school, Mm -hmm. that I was like, I think I... I, I think I am good at this and I think I want to give it a swing. And I had seen a lot of shows growing up. My parents would take us to see shows at Wright State University, which was sort of the local university down the road. And so I just had it in my mind. I was like, I think I'm going to go there and I think I'm going to study acting. And I honestly had no uh, very limited awareness that there was a big old world out there that uh-huh. that a Juilliard existed and I right. could audition for in it, that a Carnegie Mellon existed and I could audition for it. And for a long time as an adult, I was kind of mad and sassy uh-huh. because I was like, why didn't anybody tell me? But I have to say, I love the education I got at Wright State University. I think they I do got- great work and I had a lot of opportunities there. So I guess it all worked out just fine. Though you still seem mad and sassy Oh, plenty of the time. Yeah. Just I'm, I'm mad and sassy like 23 hours a day, even in my sleep. I love that your control. teacher recommended journalism to you. Like that was like such a more stable, easy career too. I'm like, is I, that like, there's just thousands of journalism jobs out there? I don't know. I, I, I guess it was performative adjacent. Yeah. And so, you know, I really do believe everyone's doing the best that they can. And I'm sure that she thought she was doing me some kind of a favor, but I was just super clear from a really young age. And I also have to say, I'm really fortunate because my parents are, I've talked about this on, on the spark file podcast available wherever you get your quality podcast. You could have plenty of times to plug. You don't need to plug. plug. I'm going to plug until the wheels fall off. Um, (laughs) I, I had parents who, they what I would consider natural growth parents. There wasn't a lot of helicoptering. There wasn't a mm-hmm. lot of that sort of thing. But they were sort of, they were sort of like, yeah, if you want to, if you want to try that, if you want to give that a swing, they were supportive, uh, neutral to supportive, but mostly supportive. And, and I ended up getting a great pretty affordable education. And I really, really loved my time at Wright State. Well, and we'll get more into Wright State and then Minnesota as well. Let me ask Laura the same question. So so back then, we're taking back to 1617, we're starting to think about this. It seems like there was at least some consideration of in front of the camera as well as behind or on the stage as well as in other places? Well, I think that came that came a little bit later. I was a late bloomer in this regard. My my whole family are teachers and coaches. So I grew up like an athlete and an athlete who like excelled in other ways as well, because when your parent is a teacher, that's what you do. And what were you an athlete in for those? We have many sports curious oh. people who listen to this pod. Sports curious. Charlie? Yes. Every season I had to be, I was playing a sport or another. Softball in the summer, volleyball in the fall until I became a cheerleader. But then my dad said, you still have to play a sport if you're going to cheerlead. Yes. Um, So you're cheering for the same sport you're playing. You're cheering yourself on. Well, of course, I'm always cheering myself on. But I had to, I cheered for the the men in whatever that sport was and then played on the team. Yes. How did you have time? Did you have like a Hermione time turner? How did you do that? Days started at 
5 a.m. I'm yeah. not joking. Basketball yeah. practice. No, I'm with you. We're up at 4.30. We're at, yes. the, at the court by 5. So with all these athletics, there's not a lot of room for artistic discovery and growth quite yet. There wasn't. I mean, except that my teachers, bless them, I'm so thankful that all of my actual teachers, like during the daytime, would go to my dad and say, you know, she's really skilled in these other things, like the speech and debate, the theater person, the um, art people. So they were like kind of working on him for years. And so by my junior year, I auditioned for a show and was in it at, you know. What was the show? Name the show. Harvey. Oh, yes. And I played the nurse. I yes. played the classical Love. nurse that came in. Yes. Um, and then we did, um, oh God, what was the musical? Bye Bye Birdie, of course. Mm. Um, so when I went to college then, I felt like, well, I'm so far behind. All the other kids who were like the theater kids had been uh-huh. doing it for 12 years. And so I felt like, well, I mean, I couldn't possibly so I went into, uh, ironically, just because the way K-State has it organized, the theater department and the speech and communication department is all under one roof. And so I went in as um, communications and I'm a public speaker. And so I got, I taught public speaking, you know, to, to help mm-hmm. pay for my college. And then being adjacent to the theater, much to the chagrin of my speech teachers, they were like, don't go do that. Don't mm-hmm. get sucked in by the theater people. Don't do it. <laughs> and I eventually had to say it's happened. I've been mm. it's uh, like my time and my energy and my love. It's been usurped and I'm going to be all theater. Yeah. We sucked you in. Yeah. Sucked me yeah. in. I couldn't go. But so then it seemed like some maybe post-collegiate education as well. Continue that theater nerd. Yeah. So then I did do as much theater as humanly possible um, at K-State. And then I moved to LA. I worked with Steve Easton um, Studios. That was all just to save, my sister lived there, so that was all just to save money to move to New York, which is where Uh I knew I always needed and wanted to be. Um, Uh So I saved probably a whopping $500 and made the trek across (laughs) across the country. But then I studied at the School for Film and Television in uh, New York City. and yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to get to this moment when maybe this is a connection or maybe it's just a great moment of of lifting with title of show. Before we do that, though, Susan, if you take us to the MFA, what made you go from BFA to MFA? Did you know you needed that immediately? Was that some period of time first between? It's such a good question, Charlie, because uh, I'm sure if you're a listener to this podcast, there's no one right path for, you know, there are so many different paths we can take in terms of our journey into the arts and through arts education. But I knew, I knew when I was, I remember doing summer theater between my junior and senior year of college. And I was expressing to the director that I was thinking about graduate school and the director Mm -hmm. was like, you don't need it. You don't need more training. (laughs) You are ready to work. You do not need it. And I was like, I knew in my bones that I was like a little chick inside of an egg Uh who was not ready to go out into the world and face the professional world yet. And so I almost viewed graduate school as just more time in the incubator, uh-huh. more time to try stuff. I, I uh, auditioned at Erda's and found, 
found an institution that where I could have my graduate school paid for mm-hmm. and got the old for almost free ride. I mean, I, I taught while I was in school mm-hmm. and that's actually where I discovered my first love, which is teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, imagine my surprise where I was like, I had had my eyes on the prize since high school that I was going to be an actor. And I had this vision of what that was going to look like. And then I started teaching my own classes and I was like, Oh no, I'm better at this than anything (laughs) else. So, um, but that was at the university of Minnesota in a graduate program that no longer exists. May she rest in peace. Yeah. She rest. But, and that seems like a pretty normal reason to go from BFA to MFA. Not necessarily the incubator, though that's very sweet to sort of stay in the bubble. But you sort of wonder when people go straight from BFA to MFA, it may be because I might want to teach that, that you'd want. You know, I like, had no, I did not have my eyes on that. And I honestly, again, coming from rural Ohio, I didn't even know until I got there that by having that MFA, I would be able, I would be degreed uh-huh. to teach. Uh-huh. I, honest to God, didn't know it. There were so many things I didn't know. The other thing that drew me to that program is it was a feeder program for the Guthrie Theater. Right. And mm-hmm. I viewed myself, uh, this vision I had as an actor, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a classical repertory actor and I'm going to do Shakespeare and I'm going to do yep. Moliere. And I just really thought that was going to be my journey. And this is maybe before the BFA program at the Guthrie was, was formed yet. Is that true? Or I think what, had it that's right. Formed? I think that's right. Because I think it's it's only like 13 years old now, 14 years old, something like that. Like what do you take me for, Charlie, an old lady? Right. Well, I don't know. I'm thinking, <laughs> I, uh, I guess, based I think on that's right. I think clues. that it's like, I think Santino Fontana was yes. one of the early that's people the in class. that BFA program. And he came, he was after Nana Susan had already <laughs> graduated. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Did you go by Nana Susan professionally? Should I have She does. She does. Go back oh, Nana Susan, <laughs> I remember when I was in school. Okay, let's get to title of show. So I was guessing this might be where you've met, though maybe you already knew each other from before. Oh, Charlie, we, we knew met. each other for oh, years, eons before yes. that. It's okay. true. Terrible I guess. Just, I was just remembering. So Laura and I, Laura, if I may tell the yes, story. Again, Nana Susan's on the scene. <laughs> so I, Laura was working with Blue Man Group at that time. I was dating a blue man at that time. So I, I had occasion to, we were at this gallery opening for a friend. And as part of the opening of this art show, there was a live performance and it was, you know, sort of like a cabaret of live performance. And Laura Camion performed something that she had written. So work she had originated. Mm-hmm. And I, at the time was curating Something we called it the talent show, and it was in the basement of a restaurant, and it was a, a kind of a monthly or bi monthly um, uh, alternative cabaret. And I marched. Laura Camion was I have to say both her names, Laura and Camion, was <laughs> phenomenal. The writing was great, and the performance uh-huh. was great. And great. I she finished. And I marched straight up to her and shook my little finger in her face and was like, I need to know you. Who are you? Where do you come from? What's the deal? Because she was just so, she was so good. She just magnetized me right to her. And that's how we met 20 million years ago. Susie about bowled me over with her energy. Honestly, it truly was immediately after the performance and was like, bam, (laughs) Susan Block was in my face. I didn't mind it. I did not mind Susie Blackburn. In your my face, face, baby cams. Take that. 
And has been ever since. There's an aspect of the story that we uh, we do not have time to explore today, but what it is to date a blue man, I just am so curious. Girl, what, what it is to marry was. a blue man. Ah. And then is what it is to a divorce man? a blue man. Oh my, this is a whole other pod. This is a whole pod. Listen. We get like tales from the blue man. You don't even Laura's know. has got a few too. Because my, my life partner is a blue man. Oh and prior to that happening, because I was worked at Blue Man, we have a lot of stories to tell you, Charlie. I feel like this is a whole spinoff podcast, Charlie. Yeah, totally that would be, is. and you can swear on that because that'll be a blue pod. So it's fine. <laughs> okay, great. No, Jim. but let's get to title of show because okay. this seems like, you know, from the outside of someone who kind of knows what a nymph show is and seeing it go all New the New York Musical Theater Festival. Don't get it twisted. Now everybody's in. That is correct. Right? Well, but, can but we like seeing t- that going to Broadway feels like. That's the thing that never happens, but then happens, yeah. you know, which is amazing. So I just would love to hear a little bit of, about that journey of like what it was like from both ends. So maybe we'll start with as, as an actor, but then also from the producing end. Or I think you have to start. It all goes saying, back to Laura Camion. Around. Sorry, it all goes back end. to Laura Camion. It all really does. So how do we take a nymph to a, an off-Broadway to a Broadway Listen, well, first journey. we got to go back two steps before nymph. Because no, now we got to go back to 1617, 19.99 million years ago. We do love okay, history. Great. I literally got frustrated looking around at the world and seeing everybody but my most talented friends working. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. was just like, something must be done. And I had started to put some of my own work up at a small theater called Manhattan Theater Source. And they invited me to be a resident theater company. And I did not know what all that would entail, but they were like, do you basically tell us when you want to book the space and it's yours? And I was like, great, I'll do a three week show in the, in the spring and we'll do a three night workshop in the summer and another show and a short play festival. That's what we'll do this year. And so I, then I went to my friends and said, uh, specifically, I went to Susan Blackwell um, I had a show Woo-hoo! I wanted to do, and then I was like, Susan, do you want to write a show? Because now I've got a theater booked, and we, like a, a fire has been lit under my butt, and therefore should also be lit under your butt. Mm-hmm. And so Susan says to me, I can't right now write a show, but let's talk to Hunter and Jeff and see mm-hmm. if they might want to write a show. Hunter Bell and Jeff Bowen. Hunter Bell and Jeff Bowen. And so right there at their kitchen table, Hunter Bell's kitchen table, um, an agreement was made. We will write a musical to go up in that little three-day workshop space Mm -hmm. in the summertime. And they did. And then at the same time in the forming of that, they were like, in fact, we want to, we would like to submit what we write into the New York musical theater festival. So we will do this. And if fingers crossed, it gets selected, we'll do it again at the festival, which Mm -hmm. we did. And how that moves from a festival, first of all, every single person involved dedicates their energy to filling every seat, Uh filling every seat with every single contact they might know in the industry. And on the very last day when it's standing room only and we're not going to do the show again, there is one seat reserved for a producer named Kevin McCollum. Uh-huh. The show time is about to start. 
There's no Kevin McCollum. It's a true uh, waiting, waiting for, Huffman, for McCollum. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for Kevin McCollum. We hold the show and hold the show. He arrives. He meets me. He's like, you're the producer? Great. I'm a bit hungry. No. And I say, okay, okay. <laughs> and I run backstage and we're like, we don't want Kevin McCollum to watch the show while no, hungry. No. no, no. Susan, Jeff, Hunter, Michael Barres, myself, we all scrounge our bags and we find like one flat little kind bar and a banana or something <laughs> like that. And I go running back up there and I was like, Kev, we're Kev now, right? Yeah, of course. Here's what we've got a banana or this squished bar. And he's like, I'll take them both. So that is how, and then the rest is history. He saw the show wow. and was like, well, clearly we need to be partners and let's move, let's get this show up elsewhere. And then, so then that goes off Broadway, that goes well, and then a Broadway run is the, That's right. The sort of and it feels journey. like eternity in between each of those. But yes, reflecting back. Getting an off Broadway run out of a nymph show is amazing. That's like, oh my yeah. God, this is yeah. so cool. And, and then, yeah, we were yeah. really lucky though. Like between Laura and Kevin, that bing bong of, I forget the order, but a little bit of ours in Nova and a little bit of Eugene O'Neill Theater Center yeah. mm-hmm. and a little bit of the Vineyard Theater. Uh-huh. Cast album. A cast album. They are all little miracles in their own way. And that, even in retrospect, I'm sort of like, did that really happen? Was that some crazy Dallas dream that, but it really all happened. And, but what Laura said is really key there. Like the, and that is the work ethic of somebody who used to get up at 5am to get the Uh basketball practice. It is, it's true. As you were saying that, I was like, oh, you really do have to have a focus and a work ethic in order to not only do the, I'm doing little quotes, do the fun parts and the Uh creative parts, but then the, the business things and the seat filling things and the, um, finding the smashed cliff bar and the banana in order to make sure that somebody's blood sugar is up so that they have a positive experience of the show. All of those things, um, they take capacity and, and focus. And now I feel like Laura is, she tried before the pod to be too humble about her producing skills. And, oh, I don't know. But, but we're going to put, can we put you to a little bit of the test of what are some of those granular skills or granular things that you were doing beyond the banana and the kind bar? But like, you know, especially for some of our listeners who maybe they've graduated from school at this point, they love acting, but they also are exploring some of those other hyphens and yeah. maybe they're writing work, they're they're trying to produce their work, they're trying to figure out there may be other places in the theater world or in this industry that may be helpful for me. Like, what does that look like? What, what did it look like for the quote unquote pounding the pavement to get it from nymph to off-Broadway to Broadway in terms of what your involvement was? Mm. Why does this feel like a harder question than it is? I think that... Um, I think that, you know, that one is once I let go of like my acting career is going to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I realize like, oh, no, no, no. Part, and Susan Blackwell's big, big part of this realizing like, oh, when you take your own fate into your own hands, everything is like life feels <laughs> It feels so, every single thing that you do is for yourself and for your friends. And it all feels so good in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was literally everything from, I guess, finding that space and making and forming the relationships with the people at Manhattan Theater Source, which I wasn't seeking to be a resident theater anywhere. I Because I didn't know that was an option. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know to dream of that. 
And they, but based on the relationships we formed, we did quality work. They came to me and said, do you want to keep doing quality work here? Yes, I sure do. Then that, Mm -hmm. that entails like expanding your mind beyond what you might think is possible right now. So learning everything from like, okay, so I guess that means I need to market this. I need to learn how to write a press release. I need to, uh, fearlessly invite people. I need to trust the quality of work that I know I'm capable of doing and my friend, the quality of work that my friends are doing. Because prior to that, when I had been involved in a lot of productions, like I just felt like I spent a lot of time. And at the end of the day, I didn't feel really proud enough of the work to invite literally everyone I knew. Uh And so again, doing our work in a quality way with people who I knew were putting as much into it as I was, and all of us fearlessly inviting everyone. Um, I I think we all did that. So I feel, yeah, I think I feel um, like, oh gosh, I didn't, it wasn't just me that did all of that. Every person involved. So every actor who signed on board really did more mm-hmm. Is that a cop-out? Is my answer a cop-out? It might be. Just a tiny bit. But I think there's something <laughs> cool bit. in there of like 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 the the trust of it all, right? That like because yeah. I, I do think so many people have asked me that with like, how did you do, know you could run a company like MTCA? And I was like, I didn't. I just did not yes know. And yeah. the leap. And then you and then yeah, you learn how to write press releases or you learn how to yes. oh God, make build a shopping cart or do things you're like, I live not a Yeah, That's that. right. You learn you learn everything's figure outable. You learn yeah. how to put a budget together. My personal finances weren't together, but the budget of every show I did was right. tight. You're running these huge budgets and you're like, but I can't manage my bank account. Yeah. That's <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah. Um, And then, Susan, I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, for for, I think a lot of uh, people really love this show and really interested in in kind of this kind of what I'm going to say autobiographical work, which is maybe not quite the right word, but like it does seem like very meta in terms of the experience. Like you are playing yourself, you know. We borrow a word from the great Linda Berry, which is autobiophictionography. You know, it's it's autobiographical to a certain extent, but it's it's fictionalized to a certain extent in order to make it viable and vibrant for the stage. So, yep. uh, yeah, it's, well, I'm sorry, Charlie, was there a question in there? What there was, was about the to be, you cut me off midway through. I mean, it's really, <laughs> how just, dare no, you? How dare you? What no, no, but I was going to say like, question? what was that like in terms of figuring out like where the line is for yourself, maybe in a healthy way, especially if you now have to play this off Broadway and then on Broadway again and again of like, where is that line of like, this isn't actually me, but it is, mm. of course, oh, me. I'm trying to bring myself yeah. to it. Yeah, I feel like there was an intuitive sense of what was, um, well, the first thing, like, to make the cut, it had to be sort of, there's that question you ask yourself, like, why are we breaking the silence? Why are we asking people to pay $100 a ticket to come see this? And so, like, you want it to be, you want it to be substantive, you want it to be entertaining, maybe funny, maybe uh resonant somehow. So there's that's the first cut that has to be made in order to bring any sort of lived experience, I think, to uh, to this stage or to the page or whatever. But I also think there was an intuitive sense and an ongoing conversation of kind of what was appropriate and what was healthy and different people in that um, artistic collaboration 
including Heidi Blickenstaff, Hunter Bell, Jeff Bowens, Susan Blackwell, Larry Pressgrove, those are the folks that are on stage, had uh, different boundaries about, uh-huh. and this tr- carried into our next piece, which is called Now Hear This, available for licensing wherever you get your quality shows. Plugs, the plugs, the, the plugs. plugs. The, um, <laughs> seriously, it's on Concord's website. Just check it out. Um, but but these, these questions did arise about like how, what we wanted to share, what we didn't prefer to share. And right. there were times when it was sort of like, oh, but that would be such a good story. And Jeff Bowen would be like, absolutely not. I just, yeah. I'm, we're not going there. Yeah. Um, so- and you have to, you have to respect it. So, and I yeah. think it's an interesting challenge, just in terms of like dramaturgy. It's an interesting challenge to know, like, well, there needs to be some conflict, or there needs to be some obstacle or some challenge. Uh-huh. And yet, when you're pulling from your own life, like as Susan said, you may have like some boundaries around, like, well, I don't actually, I don't want my, like, I don't want that to be the conflict of this show. And then I replay it every night, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it really led to a, a lot of, uh, I don't know, great conversations and, and deep thought about how you build a show and what's, what's needed in a show. And it does feel like it's not so different than what our students are doing in their auditions. You know, it's not quite autobiofictional or whatever the, the mm-hmm. word is you were saying, but it is like they're choosing what to share about themselves. That's right. In a yeah, that's right. Often they're saying, this is a, maybe some trauma that I have or some personal experience I've gone through that I maybe don't want to share because I don't want to do that for 20 auditions. I'm not sure I'm, I'm ready to go. Yes, that that's right. Maybe Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. And, and as you live and you process through things that may shift, that may shift for you. And you might, you know, either be like, Oh, I'm, I'm done expressing yeah. myself in that way. And uh-huh. now I'm moving towards work like this, but yes, that makes so much sense. Let's talk a little bit about, this side by side, because I don't think you've plugged enough things yet, Susan. So t- tell us a little <laughs> bit about you. how that came about. I mean, this is like this really cool thing. How did you come up with this? How I- So Side by Side by Susan Blackwell is a show I did for Broadway.com for 11 years. And it kind of, I feel like the pandemic kind of... Um, you know, when, when Broadway went night, night, it, we sort of put it on pause, but it, um, how did it come about? We were promoting title of show and broadway.com asked the cast of title of show if we would do man on the street coverage of the Tony awards that year. And I don't remember what year it was, but it was the year that, uh, the Patty Lapone gypsy was on Broadway with Laura Benanti. And I'm just trying I'm seeing the faces that I interviewed that night, <laughs> but I started doing, uh, here and there, these weird little correspondence spots for Broadway.com. Mm-hmm. And then Paul Wontorek, the the now and past and future king editor-in-chief <laughs> at Broadway.com said, um, would you like to make something for us? Could we make something together? Do you have any ideas about something you'd like to make? And I pitched him uh, some ideas and he was like, let's do it. And my idea was what if I did when we first started doing it, I think for the first season, it was in like a hot seven minutes. It was a morning, noon and night friend date with three different friends that we would edit together. So the first episode was me having breakfast in bed with Sutton Foster, me on a carriage ride through Central Park with Jonathan Groff and me having 
hot wings at Hooters with Laura Benanti. <laughs> and then all of that was edited into a hot seven minutes. But uh, but then it just, it sort of evolved and we would focus on one person each episode. And, you know, I had so many joyous adventures doing that. I was just saying to my husband this past weekend, the amount of things that I got to try and do because of Side by Side mm-hmm. by Susan Blackwell, Broadway.com and Paul Wontorek, weird stuff that I would have never had the opportunity to do with some crazy like Broadway star like linked arms with me. It, it was, you know, having Daniel Radcliffe scrub my toilet. It was, it was just like life, real life highlights. There was some that's, licking involved. Is that right? I feel like you, you licked a lot of people. It was that's a very organic says. thing that ha- I really like Seems to play organic, with, yeah. play around with um, pre-pandemic, pre-pandemic friends. <laughs> Pre-monkeypox, I like to play around with just like messing with people's personal space. And yep. very, it grew very organically. I was doing an interview with Sutton Foster and she kept giving me guff playfully like you and me, Charlie, about hold, like the mic and my mic placement and I, that I was standing too close. And by the end of the interview, she was like kind of making up and making like, like, but now we're friends. And she kissed me on the cheek. And as I turned, I was like, I'm going to lick her on the face. <laughs> and I fully I'm licked lick, her face <laughs> and it just became this running bit and then very as organically as it came, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. And and I was really in a jam because mostly nobody knows who I am. But there is this little clutch of people in the world who really know who I am. Uh-huh. And everywhere I would go where there would be somebody who really knew who I was, they would be like very earnestly ask. Still to this day, people are like, yes. can you lick my face? And I'm like... No, that would be wow. a hard task. Can you lick my face? Strangers want you to lick their face. Yes, mm-hmm. that's yeah. like oddly intimate and it gross. Is. Yeah, I just like I'm thinking of like you know sometimes ask celebrities like sign parts of their bodies, but the, to yeah. lick, will you lick my face? That is yeah. really yeah. What someone to do. It's a great way. My Wikipedia, my Wikipedia page, oh, and did you just get with your a Wikipedia list of people whose faces this? I have licked? She cannot stop. So just go to wikipedia.com slash Susan Blackwell. All right. Well, let's take a short break. We're going to run some ads, plug some of different products that are not our products and not Susan Blackwell's products. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about creativity. We're going to dive deep into creativity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, we are back with Susan Blackwell and Laura Camion. 
And it's time to dive deep into that pool of creativity we mentioned. It's welling up between all of us. I feel ready. Um, we had a really good beginning of this conversation uh, about creativity and a kind of risk taking with the great Jonathan Bernstein, who Susan and I share some TPAP connections oh, with. Yes. Um, and I want to continue that. And uh, certainly I want to talk about creativity from a writing perspective, which feels like a lot of what Sparkfile is about kind of creating your own work and, and that. I also want to just, we'll try to shape it around creativity as an actor too and as an artist. So we'll oh, see how yeah. much of this can be in the interpretive art uh, as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to start off, and I'm going to throw this to both of you and let you pick up the ball wherever it lands. All right. Um, just to hear a little bit about your personal active practice of creativity. So, like, if I go to the gym every day, and, you know, I do, let's be honest. And you're yoked, Charlie. Yoked. Yoked. For, those, for those listeners who can't see, I look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But like, like Charlie is hawking out. You Jason Momoa, tell. step back. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. That's just for the audio <laughs> listeners to know. Um, but what does that creativity gym look like? So what are you doing on a daily basis or a weekly basis in terms of a creativity practice? Ooh. Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. Laura Camion, Laura Camion. Well, number one, we devised a podcast called The Spark File that is all Charlie, have you heard of it? Yes, I've heard of it. The Spark File? Available on Concord, blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yep. You're mixing it all up, Charlie. It's on wikipedia.com, right? (laughs) (laughs) .org.gov. Got it. So we devised this intentionally so that it would train our minds to constantly be looking for sparks of creativity, things that excite us, things that we might want to make something out of. And of course, knowing full well, there's more things that come to you than you could ever ever be able Mm -hmm. to make yourself. So we get to identify those sparks on a daily basis, put them in our spark file, write about them and share them with the world so that some of these things that we don't plan on making ourselves, someone else might take that idea and make it. And it is truly, it's just a blissful way to live your life with your eyes open, eyes, ears, all senses open for uh, identifying something that just, I don't know, uh, sparks your imagination and gets you thinking about what could be done with it. Well, let me ask. So this leads me to like in the spark file, it seems like, and I've, I've listened to it, I'll admit um, Thanks. I, that it seems like often you're talking about maybe a, a, something that you've consumed media wise uh-huh. that has inspired you. Right. I guess I'm, I'm always curious with creative people or people who are trying to stoke their own creativity of like, what is the balance between consumption and creation for you in terms of it's what do you a, take in versus what do you, mm-hmm. you know, It is sincerely such a good question, Charlie. And it's something that I think about literally on a daily basis. I have a post-it on my computer that says consume less, create mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. And it is because I do think it's so easy, especially now with like delicious, yummy nug nug pellets of TikTok and things that we can just so easily consume and they go down so easily. We get that little dopamine hit and it's, it's creative adjacent. Like you're Mm -hmm. watching somebody else make something or do something or build something. And yet if we take a picture of you, you're just like still staring at a screen. And so I, it's something I think about all the time. And it's one of the reasons why I love our podcast, the spark file available wherever you get quality podcasts (laughs) is that we're, we are taking stuff in and then we are making something out of it. Like it, it, 
we have the, it's, we call it the spark cycle of creativity where we have the spark of inspiration. We actually fan the flames and make something. We write something, we research, Mm -hmm. and then we get to share it with each other and then shine the light of it out into the world, which in our estimation completes that creative cycle. So I, it's a, it's such a good question and it's different for everybody, but in my own life, I am always striving to consume a little bit less and create a little bit more. And it's a, it's a practice. It is a real practice. Well, and do you have any thoughts on, you know, I sometimes feel like I've made this analogy before that like social media and really even pre-social media, some of the television streaming stuff that's available to us, there's, it it feels like the equivalent of like when fast food became really like Mm -hmm, easy to get. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh, we can just, there's junk food, always junk food. The American diet became so full of that. Do you think about like, what is a varied diet of creative stuff in terms of what you're what you're consuming, even on the less consuming? You know, are, are you watching streaming Netflix stuff? Are you trying to see theater live a certain amount of times? Is there some sort of way that you think I, I want to take in my plate should be have this many colors on it and this many? That is a things? that's all. That's yeah. such a good question, Laura. Do you it's do you think question. about that? I haven't consciously um, done that, but. I do absolutely. I take in live theater and as much as I can. And um, yes, I do streaming. And guess what? I force myself an occasional book because uh-huh. I'm just like, remember this art form? I yep. loved this art form and I am determined not to let my attention span shrink down to seven seconds. Yep. So I will insist upon read and every time I do read a book I'm very happy I have yeah Yeah. and it stimulates different parts of my brain though it seems to me that not necessarily every book is better than a streaming I mean I feel like some of the prestige tv that's been made in the past 10 years is like incredibly high art and it's amazing you know but it does strike me that consuming it in a certain way is almost anti-creative that there's a way that you kind of you sit down you watch the Netflix and it actually sort of sucks out of you as opposed to pours into you. Right. That's true. And some of it is super passive, but I mean, in terms of the diet, like what's on our plate, I try to vary those forms, if you will. So it's not like, yeah, some books are not as great as uh, even a repeat of Game of Thrones, but (laughs) I like to challenge my brain to take in and process different forms, different art forms. Yeah. What about you? So in the acting world, we'll sometimes have this conversation about like effort versus ease, right? In terms of as an actor on stage, like what, what, how much rigor are you putting into something versus how little tension yeah. can be in your body, right? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wonder from a creative perspective, and maybe this is a little bit more now on the writing creativity side, how do you strike that tenuous balance between sort of like you know, I got to write every day. I'm going to write for two hours versus I'm going to let the idea kind of come to me and we'll see what happens. You know, I I like that, you know, Lori said like we have the theater space, so we got to make something in it or whatever. Like how much is that whip cracking, get up at 5 a.m. person pushing your creative self versus letting the muse lead? Well, one thing I've learned about myself is that the only way anything gets done is by a deadline. So still to this day, if I'm going to put up a show, I better rent that theater. (laughs) Uh-huh. I better actually the equivalent of it now is we're going to read a screenplay and we're going to read it on October 15th. And I know it's my job to put those pages in front of people and 
the whole thing falls apart if I don't step up. And for Susan and I, both of us, like in terms of our building this business, like we knew having a partner who has Mm -hmm. the same work ethic as we, as each of us do and mutual respect. I would never want to let Susan down. And I know Susan never wants to let me down. So having that person on the other end of the line, that's like, okay, it was your turn to draft. Like we're going to, uh, we're going to speak at story conference this year. This is another answer to your, what we do creatively to keep ourselves Uh um, sharp and scare the crap out of ourselves in the appropriate ways. Um, We're speaking in Nashville in a month or so. And Susan, uh, it might be her turn to create the first draft and she gets it to me by the set, the time she said she would, then it's my turn to write and get it returned to her by the time I said I would. And having that accountability is everything, everything. So I still feel that way in order for me to be my most creative, I need to engage in accountability with another person. Uh Uh-huh. Or people. And how do we find that as like an actor? So let's imagine I'm I'm part of Charlie Murphy and there's no company. It's just Charlie Murphy, yeah. LLC, yeah. actor. How, how do I, unless I'm lucky enough to have a personal coach who's with me every step of the day saying, sure. did you do your thing? How, how do I find that same level of accountability if I don't necessarily have? I do know, think there are company? communities. I, I mean, I, I don't know everything that's out there, but I think about um, the work that Laura and I are doing with the Spark File. It does provide people who are sort of like, past, typically they're past their, they've done college, they've even done graduate Uh school, they've even gone out into their lives and, you know, made a life. And they seek that, they're sort of like, oh, where can I find that support and accountability? And there are programs, I don't know other, I honestly don't know where else it exists, but I, it must exist in like writers groups and things like that. Yep. The benefit of mm-hmm. ours is that it's a div- the the different types of creatives that are part of the Sparkfile community that provide and support and accountability for each other sort of deflates any sense of competition out of the game. And it, it's if but it could be it could be that you just identify someone like Laura just said, who has a commensurate work ethic with you Uh is able to show up when you're able to show up. And you could say for the next month, what if we held ourselves accountable to this is what I'm committing to. What are you going to commit to? And then just like a little daily or weekly check-in to say, did you do the thing you said you were going to do? It could be as simple as that. It could be as simple as that. It it does feel like something, especially, you know, a lot of our listeners are just dressed right out of school or maybe they're just graduating school now and starting to think about some of these things. It is very easy, it feels like in your young 20s, living in New York City, to like be worried about your rent and your, yes, yeah. I'm going to show up for my shift. And I'm, but then I never did go to that EPA I said I was going to go to. And I never yeah. did, right. like the things that actually are most important to you right. as for your career somehow fall on the back burner and these but urgent things are not This is where important. it's very helpful to what Laura, again, to return to what Laura Camion said, that, that discipline, focus, and work ethic to, you have to remember when Laura and I were building all of the things that we've built, all of them. We had parallel careers where we had great big jobs uh-huh. and we found time before 
after, sometimes during, to to do our work, to fit it in. And, and what did that mean in my life? It usually meant like, I, I don't drink because I was like, I don't need to be out like drinking and all the nonsense that goes with that. When I, I've made a commitment to Laura that I'm going to learn, memorize the lines that she wrote for me to perform in her play. Like uh-huh. I was, I, I think I speak for both of us. Like 100%. we were very disciplined and focused and still are, but we derive so much joy out of the work that we do that, uh, and social satisfaction that it was fine. It was fine. No one could accuse you of not being disciplined and focused. You've plugged 17 things in this 45 minute time period so far. So it's that very just impressive. means I'm a, a shill, a hacky shill. It doesn't mean I'm disciplined or focused. Oh, it's, it's, it takes a lot of focus to stay on that. Right this way, folks. Well, let's talk a little bit about, so we talked about this a bit in one of our episodes on collaboration, but I'd love just, you know, when we're talking about creativity, especially as an interpretive artist and maybe especially as an interpretive artist, meaning an actor who's not in like a new play where we're mm-hmm. kind of creating this from scratch. Let's, let's imagine I'm cast to replace a role in the music man. Where do you see that opportunity for, you know, creativity and curiosity and exploration in that kind mm. of role? We were just talking about this today with a client when even if uh, an artist has the tiniest taste of being an originating artist, meaning maybe you write, and I mean really craft a monologue that you could use for an audition piece or to get up at an open mic or something like that. You It cracks open this part of your brain where you're like, oh, I actually have informed opinions and uh-huh. agency about how I want to extend my creativity to my whole career and life. So what I mean specifically by that is once you realize that you are not just an interpretive, not I don't mean to say just an interpretive art of ours, but you're not solely an interpretive artist yep. who is here to interpret other people's visions and other people's words and other people's work. When you realize that you actually also have within you an originating artist, you can apply that to not just, I want representation, but I seek representation and here's what I am drawing to myself. Somebody who is foundationally sane, Mm -hmm. kind, good humored, good natured, is very responsive, is creative in their thinking and problem solving. Like you can start getting real specific Uh and that sort of those finer distinctions, I do believe, come from a creative mind who is not just sort of like, uh, 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 you want me to show up and rehearse and do this? I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Right. Whatever you want, I'll do it. But somebody who's really like, I have a say in the landscape of how I'm going to architect my life. And um, yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? It, it does. Yeah. It's, it's It feels really... It feels like, because uh, often we'll talk about how these kind of high-level conversations, which in some ways we're talking about like the artistic voice of like, what is my artistic voice within a role or with, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. what do I what do I bring to the table, you know? But then I think sometimes, maybe especially in the musical theater, and we've had some conversations about type and some of the, the boxes that mm-hmm. you're put in, uh, that 
you're not all, it's not always clear. It feels like sometimes like that conversation's happening over here, but then I'm here to cover these three roles and it sort of is my job to to yeah. do X, and Y, and sometimes, Z. Sometimes it is, but also I've seen people, we've all seen people who break out and they're yeah. doing, they are completely serving the mandate mm-hmm. that has been, that, that has been, you know, how they've been directed. They're completely working within the rules of engagement and they're bringing to it an inventiveness that yes. is like whoobity doobity. They have given themselves permission to. The, this is the way, I, Charlie, in a real nuts and bolts way, as an actor, this is the way I think of it. I am now somebody who has had a lot of experience as an originating artist and a lot of experience as an interpretive artist. And the way I think of it is this. I am going to bring choices into this rehearsal process or into this filming situation as if I wrote this script. Uh I'm going to audition as if I wrote this script. Because when I work from that place, there is a freedom and an experimentation that comes from my originating artist mind. But because I have decades of experience previous to that as an interpretive artist, my bandwidth as an interpretive artist was, I was just like, is this right? Is this Uh what you want? Does this fit the breakdown? Is this is this right? And it was a little bit tentative and a little bit permission seeking. And the other key to this formula is not having attachment to the outcome. Mm. So if I show up to rehearsal or if I show up to film and they're like, not that I'm like, (laughs) okay, here's a bunch of other choices that my originating mind surfaced Uh for you. And does originating artist mean you're, are you still saying the lines of the thing? Or if you're like, ah, I kind of like it better this way, you're going to change the words. No, working completely within, like mm-hmm. to the letter, serving the script as it's written, serving what the, 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 you know, because when you're, say you're doing a musical or a play, you're part of a larger, it's not just you. It's not the Susan show or the Laura show or the Charlie uh-huh. show. You're part of a larger tapestry. But I really do believe with that creative mind activated, you can be in service to the the written word, mm-hmm. letter for letter, to the direction that the the director is serving you. And you can totally mm-hmm. bring a wealth of originating thought. And as long as you don't have attachment to the outcome and you have some flexibility about like, you don't like this, what about this? What about mm-hmm. that? It's um it's a fun, it's a fun space to work from. I feel like this is applicable in, you know, it, yeah, acting and beyond. But when, when I was in school, one of the biggest compliments that you could give another actor or could be said about another actor is like, they could play anything. They could play mm-hmm. anything. And then I got out into the real world and I was, it took me a while. And I, you know what? I'm angry about this, Susan. I've still got my <laughs> time. Um, Sassy. It took me a long time to realize the people who were working were not the people who could play anything. They were the people who knew themselves, uh-huh. who knew what kind of work they do. They didn't waste any time trying to do other kinds of work than what they was in their ballpark, but also what they loved. Like ideally it's the work you love to do and you're good at doing it. And you're not bothered by... Oh, but look at that stuff that I don't do. Uh-huh. That's fine. That stuff's not for you. It's such a good point. And now because you've made this good point, I'm going to ask a bonus question. Because yeah. we've, we've tried to talk on this pod a little bit about like, 
what it is to like be yourself because mm-hmm. I feel like it's the advice that they get from certainly from us be your authentic self oh we're gosh. guilty of that advice we've everyone's heard but it's I mean it's true it's but it's just so, so much easier said than done right yeah. like and I think you know there is a kind of of young artist who maybe is living in defiance of themselves and is just releasing, I'm going to truly let my freak flag fly and I know what that is and I can say yes to it. And and those people I think can hear that advice and go, great, I got it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think there's also a, a, a large pool of artists who go, I, I don't know what roles I can and can't play. And I don't know yet what, like, especially at, you know, 22, 23, yeah. 24, yeah. I don't yet know what those things that make me, me are. And yeah. I'm here, I'm trying to be myself, but, but like, how do you do that work of discovery, you know, on a larger sense to go, I am now Charlie and I know what Charlie is and isn't, and I'm going to just be Charlie all the time. How do you get to that? Mm-hmm. You guys are 20 million years old. You have to know that. <laughs> I think that you, um, something you said, um, like, I don't know who I am. I'm playing all these different roles. I think number one, letting it be okay that I don't know who I am yet. And I'm learning. I'm literally in a conscious learning phase and that's mm-hmm. okay. Then from each thing, what did I learn about myself from this role? What did I learn about myself from this, this experience? Did I learn anything about myself from this play? And that could be things I like, things I don't like, things that really align with me, things that don't align with me. And so as you go, you're learning and the goal of learning is not, like I said before, I want to learn how to be anything to anyone in case they mm-hmm. ask me to be. Mm-hmm. I know I can. That's not the goal. The goal is to get more refined in who you are and what you mm-hmm. do and not the other way around, I think. And and I'll just add lots of therapy really helps. <laughs> lots of therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It really does. The more that you can know yourself, understand yourself, process through the pain, the trauma that may be keeping you shielded or guarded from knowing your true self is, is really beneficial. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, yeah. And I'm going to add in even more to that, which is that it does feel like it is an ever moving target too. Like yeah. even as you're going, I think I got this. And now all of a sudden, like if you'd asked me two years ago, if father was going to be like a big part of my identity, yeah. I would have been like, no way. Of course, like I mean, it wasn't because it was not any part of my identity. Yeah. And now it's like this huge, yeah. like, it feels like it's a piece of me that you're like, well, that's, uh, that is a defining part of myself. Yeah. And that's something I and own. And it evolves. And it's you know. It yeah, evolves. Two years ago, three years ago, that was not part of me then. I didn't, maybe but it was permission, a little spark a seed. Yes. And permission to evolve is a huge thing that we, not only did we experience, but we work with a lot of clients who experience like, but I said I was going to be this. And I said yeah. that so many times when I was yeah. younger, what, what does it mean for me to let go of that? I'm going to quote you guys. I don't know which one of you it was who talked about changing your choice. Yeah. But I, I remember Change hearing that choice. early in Sparkfile yes. and I thought that is such a good – because sometimes we're just holding on to what 17-year-old Charlie wanted. That's right. That's right. Now I Charlie at 27 doesn't feel that way anymore. That's right. right. Like to, to feel the pressure and that pressure is backed up maybe by school debt mm-hmm. and all – like Laura said, all the times you've declared, I'm going to go to Broadway – and then, so 16-year-old may have been banging that drum, 16-year-old mm-hmm. you, and maybe the 36-year-old version of you is sort of like, I think I want to change my choice. It's very easy. I remember times in my life when I was at a crossroads of, I think I want to change my choice. 
And it was achy. Like it was painful mm-hmm. to be like, well, if let's talk about identity evolving, if I'm not that thing that I have declared I am for years and years, then what am I? And and not having a solid answer of what you're stepping into, if not this and that, is it it can be very it can be very painful. So I if you're listening to the sounds of our voices and, and you are you're somebody who, because this is a great podcast. And I don't mean the podcast in general. I mean this episode. This episode. This episode. Available um, anywhere you want podcasts, Apple Media, et cetera. Yeah. Quality podcasts. Um, it, it's, I just want to say, like, all, I'll speak for all three of us. We, most human beings, have been at those crossroads where it's sort of like, oh, gosh, the, ch- the changing of the choice, mm-hmm. the changing of the choice. But you should know that. You should, I mean, I feel like one should engage with this thoughtfully, but changing your choice is an option. Something, Charlie, something that we do regularly, Laura and I do this as creatives and as humans, we did it before we started the Spark File. And we we lead our, our clients through this as well, is to have regular sort of conscious assessments and thought yep. exercises where you surface what's hell's yes for you now, mm-hmm. not you at 16, not you two years ago, but right now, what is sparking you? And what are the things that you're sort of like, that feels like a piece of gum that I've chewed for mm-hmm. a long time and it's kind of lost its flavor and discovering what are those things that we haven't, just to take the time to check in and say, what's hell's yes for me currently? And how might we bring those things together for this chapter of our lives? I think that that listeners to your podcast, whether it's um, people who are thinking about what their educational chapter is going to look like, or the parents, people who love the people who are looking at what their next educational chapter is going to look like, that's an exercise that hopefully you all are doing as you think about like, where might I go and what mm-hmm. might my major be? But I think it's a great exercise for us to do regularly mm-hmm. in order to make sure that we're li- we're so privileged. We are so privileged to have choices like this. And so to exercise those, uh, your thoughts and look into yourself and see what are the finer distinctions that are lighting me up now and see how much of those things you can get into your life. Well, and when you bring up parents, I do think this is one of those change your choice things for maybe our 25, 26 year old actors who are thinking, maybe I want to do something different that often they're holding on to. Mm-hmm. But dad paid $250,000 to send well, me here's to the whatever. Thing. Here's yeah. the thing, Charlie Murphy. Here's the thing. So many of the things, I would say almost all of the things that Laura learned in acting school that I learned in acting school are transferable skills. Sing it with me, everybody. Transferable Transferable skills. skills. Oh, you weren't, you guys didn't sing it. I was transfixed by your singing voice. It was beautiful. I didn't chime in. (laughs) Transferable (laughs) skills. It is, um, it is, um, in addition to Laura and I've had, in addition to all of our creative work, we have had, robust parallel careers. Yes. Mine was in corporate. Laura, as you said at the, at the outset, Charlie built the blue man brand around the world. And so much of the success that we experienced in those careers came directly, directly from our experience in the arts. Yep. 
one hundred. Yeah, I, I do think sometimes you said you had parents who were neutral to supportive or whatever. I think sometimes it, it, when actors had parents maybe who were like not such a fan of their choice. Not on my watch. Yeah. Not, yeah. Then it, it can be even a little harder. It's not just about the maybe the money, but it's Absolutely. also about going. I'm going to prove them right, or I'm sure. going to prove yeah. them. I didn't. I guess I, they were right. I should have gone to a different undergrad, or I guess I should yeah. have whatever you know. And that's a hard thing to wrestle with. But we we got to play our game. We could talk about this for hours more. It's a partnering game. It is the newlywed game. You have oh. your pencils and papers Charlie. ready to go. You're the first non-Charlie centric newlywed game that we've had yet. We're going to try fun. it. On. I love I, this. It's going to be. Fun. Okay. You know how the game basically works, right? Yeah. In terms of, so I'm going to ask one person a question, the other person is going to write down the You're answer. You're going to ask us sexy questions about each other, Charlie. They, some of them will get a little bit sexy. We'll see how sexy <laughs> right. you want to take them. Um, we'll do some this magic. This is a family up. podcast. I just want to say it's a family podcast, Charlie, well, but go ahead. Then keep it clean. Then keep it clean. Okay, we will try. Um, we'll use the magic of podcast editing to do a little during the time of the writing. We'll cut okay. it down. Okay. So okay. take your okay. time as you want to write them down. Well, I can also I can also like sing interstitial music. That would be if, great. If, yes. Okay, great. Lovely. Your genre of interstitial music, I would love to hear a, a little 16 bars from that. <laughs> okay. You're getting the first question, Laura. Okay. This is an easy one. I set you up with an easy one, then it's going to get a lot harder. Okay. What is Susan's favorite spark of the spark file of all time? Laura, what is your guess of Susan's favorite spark? I think one of Susan's favorite sparks is Hilma Offklint. <gasps> oh, that's oh, no, such a good spark. What did you write down? It went way what back to the origins. What? What one did you say? That is a great. Did you say Laura, that is a great guess? I actually, I we recorded a live episode at the Performing <gasps> Arts Project, uh-huh. and that episode is probably like one of my favorites. But Hilma Offclint, one of the early and awesome, early and awesome. Mm-hmm. Straight out of the gates. Really awesome sparks. Okay. Okay. We're going to try the same questions much easier in reverse. We know the same questions. (gasps) This is so fun. So, Laura, you're going to write down what your favorite spark is. And Susan is going to try to remember your favorite spark from the spark file. Available, Stitcher, (laughs) iHeartRadio. Wherever you get your podcast. Quality, quality podcast. Susan is going to guess... Laura's favorite spark, and it is. I'm totally guessing. Uh-huh. Laura did a killer spark on resistance, creative resistance. Oh, it's like again, gold, gold medal. Oh no! What did you put down, Laura? I put down a spark I did about. Uh, a book called Flu and World War Z. It was predicting <gasps> the pandemic before predicted, the pandemic. She predicted the pandemic. Oh, and okay. she said, and I quote during that podcast, pre-pandemic, it's not a question of if it happens. Ooh. It's a question of when. And I said, don't, this is scaring me. We, you have to stop. You're scaring me. And Laura Camion. Laura Camion brought about the pandemic. I'll just say it. I'll say it. I was trying to say that someone ought to make a a TV series out of um, World War Z. And someone will now make a TV series. That's right. We'll say it again. I'm going to keep saying it until someone does it. So now, Laura, Uh someone comes up to Susan on the street Uh and says, aren't you that lady from blank? What is going to fill in that blank? What is Susan accosted with most on the street? Oh, my God. You're that person from... Okay, Susan's writing it down, and then Laura's going to guess. I'm going to say Side by Side by Susan Blackwell. 
Okay, what is the right answer? I feel like I get more title of show. Title of show. Oh, oh come on. Title of show, and then I gotta get like, one right so we can celebrate. We don't know okay. each other right. at all. You clearly, this is, this is the first time you're meeting. I'm yeah, glad to make the introduction. Know you know. We're Fantastic. meeting each other. It's so funny because there's tonight. there's few people on the planet that know me better <laughs> than Laura Camion, but it occurs to me we don't discuss the things that you're asking about, which is tough. We these yeah, are very just, difficult yeah. questions too. These are not. Uh, this, I think this is fun. This is How this yeah, I, I got none of the answers right for what it's worth. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Susan, you're having a rough day. You call Laura to push back your podcast recording. What excuse do you give to Laura about why you need extra time? We have more time-sensitive things to do. Oh, that's a very erudite excuse. What did you put down, Laura? That's not the right answer. I can tell from your I face. would put, based on what you said, Charlie, I'm ha- she's having a bad day. Susan would be honest with me and say, I'm having a bad day. I'm not feeling it. I'm not oh, feeling she would it. just say it. She w- Which is I, not so different I than saying I have more important like, things Susan to do. Wouldn't ha- like wouldn't make up any kind of excuse except not a tell me lie. the truth. Yeah. yeah, it's not a oh I'm going th- my daycare I'm sick blah blah. I didn't no, listen. I, you're, Laura's completely right. I didn't listen carefully to Charlie's question, and I was just drawing from the most recent moment where we were supposed yeah. to record, and we mm-hmm. were like, we don't That's have time right. to record. Right. We have to the most write this other thing. Let me be honest. I feel like you've been listening to very little of what I've said so far today. So it seems pretty tuned out. Yeah, that's right on par. Yeah. Okay, that's just let's me. do let's do another positive one. So for Laura, yeah. what is Susan's favorite thing about you as a collab? My empathy. My empathy? No, that's not right. That's not what right. did we write down? What do you like? I wrote about? down the whole package. The whole package. Get Come out of town. That's a better answer. Than I it's it's the whole package. The whole package. Okay. Awesome. In reverse, same question. Susan. Probably the whole package. Everything. We got one right. <laughs> the most important one. Yeah. I'd just love to hear a little bit of like, what is your relationship with social media? And we talked about consumption, Woo! art in general. Obviously, you need to use it to sit back and ties and all this stuff. Real talk. Yeah. Real talk. Give it to us real. Real talk. We were just in a meeting having a conversation about this. I, my relationship with social media is but kind of fraught and a little bit non-existent because I feel like it, I can fall into it and just be like more TikTok, more hours in front of TikTok. And I don't want to give my creative capacity and my attention to TikTok. Mm -hmm. So I sort of kind of steer clear of it, except I'll engage with it when I need to reach out to the people and yeah, I just feel better when I am living IRL. I just feel better. And Laura, what about you? Same. I'm not. Same. I'm not a bit like I don't feel not good usually when I do it. And so, um, I like TikTok. I'll watch anything that Susan sends me. That said, like I, you should watch this. Or my partner Wes, if he's like, this is amazing. Great, I'll watch that. And I feel like through the filter of other people, I maybe get the best of it. Um, they like the, it's been pre-screened, but right. I, like our parent listeners who listen to these podcasts and then tell their ch- children which ones to listen to. That's listen, to this one. listen to this and one. This one. Listen That's to this right. one. This is the best one. Right. But I do have moments where I appreciate, like, I wouldn't, 
I understand. I wouldn't know what's going on in certain people's lives were it not for that. So big and baby announcements and college graduations and things like that, that I'm very, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that I popped on here today or I would have missed this. And this feels important. Um, but really for mental well-being and that creative capacity that we've been talking about all night, um, I want to reserve it for for other things. Do not follow at Laura.Camion on Instagram or at Susan Blackwell on Instagram if right. you don't want to save your mental That's well-being. Right. We're trying or to help. Or do. Yeah, do spark. follow because mm-hmm. we promise you, have, you can follow the Spark file. And we'll we'll serve you up some goodies. It actually is quite beneficial to follow the Spark file because we do really fun events. Yes. I would say about, this Spark is file. leafy greens in your yeah. social media diet. Is the Spark file? That's I would say so. Yeah, and also yeah. For the tasty sweets too. Don't you know? Not as healthy, <laughs> but it is still fun to devour. Um, well, thank you both so much for your time today. Um, it was such a pleasure getting to chat with you. What a joy. Charlie, thank you so you're, much. You're just the sweetest peach. And I know that we had a lot of fun in on this podcast, but you, it really is a pleasure to get to spend this time with you're you. You're doing good work here and you're having yeah. incredible conversations with people that I, I truly believe are very useful. They're very much of service to people. You're doing good. Oh, shucks. We end on a compliment, which is a great way to end it. Yay. You got to take it. You got to take our compliment. Ah. You got to sit there and take it. Oh, wowzer. Sit there and take it. I shall and be truly honored. Um, I do really hope you enjoyed listening to Susan and Laura. I think they're just such breaths of warmth and intelligence, and they're just both really, really funny. Um, I'm still personally navigating some of the difficulty of what it is to have two guests at once, Um, but I do really feel like I could have thrown them almost anything, and they would have gobbled it up, and it would have been entertaining. Um, As far as a takeaway, you would think I might be doing something silly or funny, but I'm going to go a little bit deep today, or attempt to go a little bit deep. Um, I just want to zoom a little bit in Um, and contort something that Susan said, um, which is about her strategy of how to approach a rehearsal process. She said she likes to pretend like she's the generative artist, i.e. the writer, when the job is to be the interpretive artist, the actor, right? So I, I think this is a really interesting way of saying this concept, and it's of course not surprising that she's a writer herself, um, but it's something I would often coach my monologue students to do as it was such a light bulb moment for me personally as an actor. It seems so obvious in retrospect, but I I probably didn't fully wrap my head around this concept until after college. And this is what the concept is. Namely, that it is our job as an actor to come up with the words as if they were our thoughts. That our job is to come up with the words the playwright has given us as if they were our thoughts. The writer has given you the end product, which is the words that come out of your mouth, but you can't pick it up from there at the end product and move forward. You do have to go backward and come up with the thoughts that both lead to, and I think very often, interestingly, all the thoughts that don't lead to, these words that end up coming out of your mouth. That's not to say these always have to be fully verbalized thoughts. Sometimes we have thoughts or feelings or impulses or needs that are completely unconscious to us. So we don't necessarily have to like fully write out and eloquently, you know, dictate all of our subtext, though that can be an interesting acting exercise to do. But we do need to be fully in the heads of our characters. Um, As the kids would say, we got to be like vibing along with the way they're thinking. This is often what an actor means when they say, oh, I was in character in this moment, right? That the translation between Hamlet and 
Charlie was so instantaneous, I didn't even catch it. It felt like I was Hamlet thinking to be or not to be, right? As opposed to what was actually happening was Charlie thinking about how Char- Hamlet would think and then putting those two things together, right? We always say when you're in character, you're never actually in character or you're insane, right? You'd be like, if the fire alarm goes off, you're going to leave the theater. You're not going to be like, what is this fire? It doesn't make any sense, etc. Again, this may seem like the most obvious concept. And it's maybe some of the non-actors out there too are being like, oh my God, yeah. So if you like, think the thoughts of your character, how is that that hard? But it is much harder than you might think, especially if a writer writes with a different cadence than you, or maybe with words that don't exactly sound of this time period. I don't even mean like Shakespearean. Sometimes it's like if you have a monologue where you have to say mother when you would normally say mom, sometimes it's really difficult to make mother sound like how you would actually refer to the person who gave birth to you. Um, It's why I often stress to our students so much to try to pick material, especially contemporary material, that really does sound like them so that this specific step doesn't have to be so effortful in both their contemporary and their classical piece, even though something you'll certainly have to do in your classical piece. I had a great acting teacher in school who used to say, your inspiration begets your inspiration. And I'm actually not sure he said begets. I feel like I've added that in later. Like I made it all biblical. I'm not sure that's what he said. But basically, your inspiration leads to your inspiration, right? Inspiration being the in-breath, you know, to inspire, to breathe, and leads to like my intention or, you know, what, what the thing I'm trying to say is. The idea is that when we speak naturally, we just think thoughts and then unconsciously we just put them into words. The need to speak causes us to inhale And that impulse behind what the character said to you or how they reacted to what you said makes you breathe in your next thought and then let it out. It's why an actor, you know, if you ever watch an actor take like a big deep breath in and then quote unquote start the work and then try to get in character, it always feels phony, right? Because they're breathing in as themselves. I'm breathing in as Charlie. And then all of a sudden the character is going to speak with Charlie's breath. You know, that's especially when you're like beginning an audition or beginning a scene. It feels too weird, right? We need to have that impulse breathed in um, and then filled in with whatever the character is feeling. Even though the character, again, we've talked about this before, the character doesn't need to be so separated from you. Ideally, those two things are really really laid over each other well. Um, the other thing I really love about what how Susan put it is that in, in pretending you are the writer and pretending you're the person who actually did this, you are forcing yourself to have accountability with the choices of your character. In writing something, in, in saying you are the writer, you are taking full ownership of it. And now this should of course be true in your monologues because you're picking your monologues. We're talking about college auditions, but especially for my alumni actors out there, In your sides as a professional actor, this is just as important. It's so easy to kind of judge writing. Let's say it's a TV show. Maybe it's a soap opera even more, right? It's something where you just go, I don't love the quality of this writing. And so you will, your instinct then becomes to try to be good in spite of the material, in spite of the text. Well, I still want this casting director to think I'm a good actor. So even though this writing is crappy, I'm going to like act good on top of it. If you are given that soap opera or often a cheesy musical, you know, to sit there and go, but look how organic and truthful I am through it. But in pointing at that difference between the acting and the writing, you are necessarily doing bad acting. The harder challenge, and what I would posit that all of you should try to do in that case, is to really try to justify the text that you have in front of you. I did say this. I do say this. This is what my character says. So how do I get there? Right? What thoughts led me, me in this body, in this voice, in this human self right now, in this scene, what thoughts led me to these words? And then how did I feel right after I said them? And how did they land on the scene partner afterward? And how does that lead me to the next line? 
right? In a monologue, we can do a lot of prescribing there. So we can do a little bit of shaping of going, and then the scene partner will do X. Where in a scene, of course, you'd want to keep it more open to your scene partner's choices that you two are going to create it a little bit together organically in the moment. But you still have to stay with the text no matter what if you're really doing your job. And I think Susan's way of saying that pretending you were the writer is a beautiful hack to do that, right? You are always writing the scene live on your feet. This is Charlie, the creator of these thoughts, who is saying these words as opposed to somebody else wrote them. And I'm just here to deliver the news. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. If you want to be the writer of your own college destiny, you better hit that subscribe button so you can check out the future episodes that are coming. Um, We'd also would love a rating and review. I suggest at least one star for every time Susan mentioned the spark file, though I'm not sure Apple will go up that high to like 19 stars or whatever it was. And now, of course, I continue my shilling where I tell you that if you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for College Audition Journey, please check us out at mtca.nyc. You can also follow us on all of the socials media. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, the working title for the Blue Man Group project is Everything I Own Turns Blue or Blue's Clues. You decide. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.